Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of the Global Heart Failure Academy and is brought to you by Medtelligence. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements as well as the learning objectives. Symptoms from iron deficiency can greatly affect the overall quality of life of our patients with heart failure. Today, we are exploring the clinical evidence for the use of IV iron replacement in these patients. The most recent study results are from the Ironman trial. This is CME from ReachMD, and I'm Dr. Javed Butler. So welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here. I'm Stefan Anka from Berlin. Well, I'm also very happy to be here. I'm Piotr Panikowski from Poland, Wrocław, Poland. Thanks for the opportunity. I'm Rob Mentz from Duke University. Well, great to have all of you here. So let's begin with the discussion. So we'll try to focus our discussion today on the new trial that was presented here, the Ironman trial. But before we go to the Ironman trial, maybe Stefan, I can start with you. There have been several trials with IV iron in patients with heart failure showing consistent benefit in terms of quality of life, functional capacity, emerging data for hospitalizations for heart failure. Can you tell us a little bit about the background of the Ironman trial? What was the question that was being studied, trial design issues? Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, the history of all of this is going back, you might say, almost 20 years. Don Silverberg's first studies combining actually erythropoietin with iron and showing some benefits in patients with renal disease and heart failure. There was one arm of development with erythropoietin, another arm with intravenous iron coming out of this. And after several smaller studies in 2009, we had the chance to publish then for the first time in the FHF1 trial the results of using ferricarboxymaltose versus placebo to actually improve symptoms, quality of life, and really the patient-reported outcomes of patients. Now, this developed then further into a second study we did with Piotr together to confirm HF trial to show six-minute walk test improvements. And so I think you're right. It now can be said there are several trials that achieve kind of these not hard outcome improvements. So Affirm AHF, Piotr led this trial. We published a few years back. Then in a population with more acute heart failure or hospitalized for heart failure and almost like a goodbye shot, plus additional therapies showing also improvements there with reductions in hospitalizations. And now the background is simply, is this something that is specific to one type of an intravenous iron, or is this actually something that maybe also works with other intravenous irons? And so Ironman investigated the benefits in chronic heart failure, some of them also hospitalized for heart failure, and even recruited in the hospital for the study. But checking whether this also works with another intravenous iron called derizomaltose. So let me just ask a few clarifying questions for the study design. So it included both ischemic and non-ischemic etiology? Yes, that's true. And the patients were all heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. What was the EF cutoff in the trial? 45. 45%. And then the last question is that the endpoint of the trial was what? The, what was the trial designed to look at? A combination of cardiovascular mortality and recurrent hospitalizations for heart failure as an analysis of recurrent events. Got it. Okay, so Piotr, coming to you, what did the trial show? Well, as Stefan said, the trial was pretty similar in the concept to Affirm AHF to follow what we actually found that in Affirm AHF in the population, different population, the population hospitalized for heart failure, being treated before discharge and 
for one year with fericalboximal. The design was similar, but the population was, as Stefan already alluded to, different one, mainly ambulatory patients. Two-thirds of these patients were recruited on ambulatory basis. So around, if I remember correctly, 15, 16% were randomized once they were in hospital, and around 20% were randomized based on their previous heart failure hospitalization. So heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, with iron deficiency, defined in a little bit different way, this similarities but tiny differences, transfer in saturation below 20% or ferritin level below 100. So tiny differences, we can discuss this later. A little bit more than 1,100 patients treated with ferric derisomaltose for several years, median follow-up 2.7 years, much longer than we did. So as Stefan said, we did treatment for one year. Here, the treatment was much longer. The maximum follow-up person was a little bit more than five years, so pretty long follow-up. And the results are very simple. Those, and even also quite important difference, there was not double-blind placebo control trial. It was the patients who were randomized either to active treatment versus usual care. So there was not placebo arms or usual care. We can also discuss how this kind of a design can affect the results. So to make long story short, very similar effect results, what we observed in AFM, treatment with ferric derisomaltose resulted in a non-significant reduction of numerically lower events with ratio of 0.82, just narrowly missing statistical significance. In the AFM, we had 0.79, so very close, very similar. Again, as we already had, recurrent heart failure hospitalization plus cardiovascular death. Pre-specified COVID-19 sensitivity analysis revealed significant effect of ratio less than 80, 0.78, if I remember correctly, so significant, as we had in AFM, so pretty consistent results. To make long story short, safe, well-tolerated, they focus on the infection-relating safety endpoints, no difference whatsoever, no signal regarding a safety issue, well-tolerated, as I said. So I see this as a next step in the further development of the concept that repletion IV iron to replete to iron deficiency in patients with heart failure and reduced ejection fraction across the whole natural history in hospital, in ambulatory basis, results in significant improvement in outcomes. And also importantly, in quality of life, but there are some differences in this trial, which we can discuss later. So you specifically mentioned that this was not a double-blind randomized trial, but an open label. So was there IV iron used in the, in the control arm? It's a great question, Javet. Yes, it was. If I remember correctly, 17% of patients, 17% tended to receive IV iron in the usual care arm. Several percent as well oral iron, but perhaps we should take this with a grain of salt because we may not believe that oral iron works, but definitely this information that at least one IV iron infusion in the usual control was received by, as I'm saying, 17% of patients may well be a really important issue. 
So, I mean, the trial design is what it is, and obviously we should analyze it with intention to treat analysis and whatever the pre-specified statistical analytic plan was. But clinical interpretation, would it be a fair thing to say that if anything, the benefits that were seen in this trial were attenuated because of the open label, almost 20%, one in five use in the control arm? It may well be. It may well be also some other issues related to the differences in the design of the trial, maybe ethnicity, maybe please remember that AFAM was across all over the world. Here is only one country trial. I think that endpoints were blindly adjudicated, although this was an open-label study. So differences, but as I am saying, I see these two trials as a very, the results as a very consistent, showing that IV iron, whichever compound we use, in iron-depleted, iron-deficient patients with HEFREF, helps and improves mortality and morbidity. That would be my interpretation. I'm sure that Bob will tell us some more about his trial because maybe it would be the final piece of evidence, but I will leave you to, as a moderator to carry this discussion. Yeah, so I have a few more questions about the results, but before we go there, maybe Rob, I can turn over to you. So what's the clinical interpretation? How does this trial impact your practice now? Sure, so I think as my colleagues have nicely highlighted, it's another piece of the puzzle. We're getting additional perspectives, a different compound, slightly different trial design, right? So it's, you have this longer-term follow-up, and you have repeat dosing every four months. So now a median follow-up of two, more than two and a half years. So we get to see the long-term implications. And there are a couple other important nuances here. It did include those de novo patients. So we'll take a deeper dive there as we better understand. There's some suggestion as we look at IV iron that potentially the de novo non-ischemic, is there evidence of a differential or maybe even not as strong a benefit? Importantly, as we look at Ironman, the pre-specified subgroups, nothing meeting statistical significance for differences there. So I think as my colleagues nicely highlighted, this is another piece of the puzzle showing fairly consistent, we, we see in the 20 to 25% reduction in events really driven by heart failure hospitalization. I commend the investigators for this effectiveness study. So I, I think it really, with the pragmatic elements, we're getting a more of an effectiveness study where you do have open label use, you do have challenges with COVID, but they should be commended for answering this question. And I think demonstrating this nominal reduction in hospitalization. So as I take this now into clinical practice, I think in truth, we know that there's going to be formulary considerations at different institutions. So this gives us additional data around the utility of IV iron. And I would actually take a little bit of a step back and say, we've talked a lot about the evidence generation piece here, but the steps are we have to think about IV iron in our clinical, we have to think about iron deficiency in our clinical practice, right? Knowing how common iron deficiency is. If you don't think about it, you're not going to check iron indices. So it's think check, and then treat. And as my colleagues have nicely noted, it's not oral iron. That's ineffective. It needs to be IV iron. And we have now data with multiple compounds demonstrating improvements of quality of life, functional status, albeit with some nuance that we may want to get into it with the different trials around six-minute walk distance. But this reduction in hospitalization that matters for our patients and our systems. So I really want to ask you a question about the trial which you are leading, but before we go there, do we know the quality of her life results in Ironman and what were the differences, some nuances? Yeah, in previous studies, we convincingly demonstrated that IV iron with ferric alboximaltose tend to improve significantly quality of life, including also in ambulatory patients, six-minute walking test distance. 
It was a confirmed study which we published several years ago. Here in this population, again, as Dr. Romans alluded to, in a little bit different study design, the quality of life measured with Minnesota Living with Heart Failure questionnaire was improved. With some other questionnaire, it was not. And also six-minute walking test did not significantly change in those being treated with IV iron. This is a piece of puzzle we need to digest and explain, which for me is a little bit surprising because we take for granted with all our studies that this is certain that correcting iron deficiency will end up with improvement in exercise capacity, including the six-minute walking test distance. But perhaps, as you said, maybe those treated with uh, unusual care, they will treat it with also IV iron. Maybe there are some other differences as well. Maybe something we cannot simply explain by first interpretation. So overall, it does not surprise me, but this six-minute walking test is a little bit kind of a puzzle for me. Yeah, I would like to add to this that Besides the point that there is 17% kind of open treatment in the control group with intravenous iron, there is also a second issue, and that's the dose given in the trial is maybe a little bit on the low side overall. It was a little under 1,000 milligram on average per patient, and in our trials, we usually have 1,500 milligram in the first half year and then 500 to 1,000 milligram in the second half year. So you would have expected at least, I would say, 2,000 milligram in the trials that we are currently doing. I don't know how it is in heart fit. Certainly, that's the amount we are doing in FHF2. That's the amounts we, we previously gave in the other trials. So there may also be a hint towards a, a dose-response issue that you need to give a little more to get an even more convincing quality of life and symptom benefit and exercise capacity. Yeah, and I would also just highlight that in the context of the COVID lockdowns, yes. a number of patients actually didn't get yes. the follow-up dosing. Indeed. So the COVID, pre-specified COVID analyses, as well as some additional post-hoc COVID analyses really do demonstrate that there is this reduction in hospitalizations. And in truth, if, if there was more complete dosing without crossovers, that certainly did happen. I think really the totality of evidence demonstrating the efficacy of this medication. Yeah, so this trial, I mean, really recently just came out, so we all need to digest a little bit of uh, data. I was also intrigued by the fact that the quality of life scores did not improve early, but then improve later. So it just sort of raises all these questions, not only, so one obvious question people will ask is that, is there a differential effect based on the iron preparation? So that's the lowest hanging question. Then the issue of dose that Stefan mentioned, but also I don't know this for a fact, but one assumption would be that the 17% open label use was all upfront, but over time with COVID or whatever, the standard of care arm did not get recurrent injections, whereas the per protocol injections were given more frequently. So there's a lot of explanations that we need to understand here. So Rob, you're leading the HeartFit study. Can you tell us quickly a little bit about the HeartFit study and what you hope that that will add to already a firm HF and Ironman? Wonderful. So HeartFit is a large trial, now looking at FCM, so the compound distinct from Ironman, and it's over 3,000 patients, heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, chronic heart failure, so outpatient setting, and now getting dosing every six months, long-term follow-up. And importantly, the primary endpoint is a hierarchical one, so it's all-cause mortality, the total burden of heart failure hospitalizations, and then six-month, six-minute walk distance with the first two components at 12 months. And Importantly, it's powered based on a key secondary endpoint, cardiovascular death and heart failure hospitalization. So in 2023, we'll be excited to report out these data and hopefully provide an important and potentially kind of final piece around the HEFREF elements here. And then my colleagues are working on 
additional complementary studies that'll help us better understand in different populations, a little bit of difference in HEFREF and HEFPEF. So I think it's an exciting time as we think of, certainly there's evolution of guideline directed medical therapy in terms of medication pills, but this idea of polypharmacy is an issue. And if we're able to effectively use IV iron to help our patients feel, function, and have better clinical outcomes and implement this in an effective way, that could really save many lives. So it looks like we need to get together again soon to have the discussion on heart failure like this. But Stefan, you're leading FairHF2. What is that about and what about HEFPEF? Yeah, thank you. I mean, basically, FairHF2 is, of course, an extension in the chronic heart failure field of all our experience with ferricarboxymaltose, really focusing as a primary endpoint on recurrent cardiovascular mortality and heart failure hospitalization events in a population that after we have just recently submitted an amendment, if and when this is implemented with an ejection fraction up to 55%, so HEFREF and HEFMREF, you might say. And in this study, we are on an average observing in the end about three to three and a half, possibly even on average a little more than that, four years of clinical care for patients with intravenous iron and also repeat kind of therapy of the patients over time in a double-blind setting, which for sure, and this can already relate, very much contributes to having much, much less kind of open-label treatment in the whole study at all because nobody knows the assignment of the patients. And so I think this is an important quality, but also a rather costly kind of element of a study. So we will do this and hopefully then report maybe one year after the HeartFit trial this very final and then maybe even definite kind of result, I hope. So Piotr, Rob made a suggestion to maybe differential uh, benefit in ischemic versus non-ischemic, which automatically raises the question, what about post-MI population? Great question, Javed. I think that we quite recently published the analysis from our study showing that ischemics, it works, versus non-ischemic, which may well not work that well. I think that reading the supplementary materials for Iron Man, we see that there is also difference favoring those with ischemic heart failure. Although the authors mentioned that there was no heterogeneity, they mentioned in the discussion perhaps there may be something. Perhaps we've, if we combine everything together, we'll see. So what we are now, and we will be discussing with Rob and with you once we finish this nice discussion here, what about prevention of heart failure in those who tended to have a myocardial infarction and have iron deficiency without having heart failure already at baseline. It is a concept quite similar to impact in my all this study with sacubitril varsartan to prevent heart failure event in those at high risk of heart failure post MI. For those just tuning in, you're listening to CME on ReachMD. I am Dr. Javed Butler, and here with me today are Dr. Stefan Anker, Piotr Ponikowski and Robert Pence. We're discussing the management of iron deficiency in our patients with heart failure and the recently released results of the Iron Man study. So, you know, we talked a little bit about subgroup differences. You know, one question that always comes up is that it's very easy to understand that if you have iron deficiency anemia and you're short of breath or tired or fatigued or what have you because you're anemic. But then iron deficiency also impacts patients who are not anemic and the benefit with IV iron replacement is seen in both patients with and without anemia. So can you explain to us a little bit about how does IV iron works in patients who are not even anemic? Yeah, thank you so much, Javed. 
This really, I think, is possibly for the whole iron deficiency therapeutic field, the contribution of heart failure to the medicine in general, because in all other fields, it was really a restrictive kind of approach, iron deficiency being synonymous to the anemia kind of indication. And only in heart failure, we started to actually say, oh no, we also want to treat patients without anemia having iron deficiency. Why could it work there? Well, simply, we are talking here about making musculature, any musculature, the heart muscle, the respiratory muscle, but also the skeletal muscle, more energy efficient. Energy comes basically out of the work from mitochondria, and they use the respiratory chain to produce ATP. And the respiratory chain reaction needs iron as a catalyst. And it becomes simply more efficient in producing energy when you have sufficient iron supply in the cells. And that is totally independent of the issue of carrying oxygen to the periphery through hemoglobin using also iron for this. So iron has two functions. One is helping in the oxygen transport, but also helping in the oxygen utilization. And the latter seems to be the really important part when it comes to basically improving quality of life and performance because energy is needed for this performance. And that's why it works also in the non-anemic patients. So this is really fascinating. What you're basically saying is that Iron deficiency obviously complicates things when you develop anemia, but iron deficiency is a disease state in itself, regardless of anemia. So that's interesting. Buehler, so, you know, Iron Man had a little bit of a different definition of iron deficiency than all of the previous trials, which begs the question, what was wrong or right with the previous definitions? Why do we need a new definition? Can you tell us a little bit about the controversy related to the diagnosis of iron deficiency? Great question, Javed. I think it was nothing wrong, nothing good. We simply used the definition which we have somehow borrowed or we did borrow from the nephrology group. So we used this nephrology kind of a paradigm which we implemented in our first study. It worked and it worked the same way in the following study. So it was low ferritin, low, lower than, so 100, make it this way, or if 100 to 300 additional criterion should be transferred in saturation below 20%. It created some discussion. It worked in our study repeatedly. And there was a story, what about serum biomarkers which are best to diagnose and to reflect iron deficiency? We can talk about this for at least an hour. What would be the ideal parameter? Is this transfer and saturation? Is this ferritin? Is this soluble transfer and receptor, which is a new kind of a biomarker, which may well be important what about biomarkers, blood-borne biomarkers reflecting iron deficiency in the bone marrow? It's reflecting iron deficiency in the cells, which we still do not understand because we take for granted that what we measure in the blood reflects iron deficiency at the periphery, in the cells, what Stefan said, which may be entirely wrong. But anyway, we have this definition. Colleagues in the Ironman use, in principle, the same approach low transfer in saturation or low ferritin level. I would say there are not that much difference. As you know, well, some people decided also to go for the hepcidin maybe without getting into the details. We want parameters which are simple, which I readily use were simple in terms of also cost effective. So I think this, this is simply saying that definition based on TSAT and ferritin works well, so we should continue with this. Great. 
So Rob, we're talking about a lot of sort of theoretical considerations which are really important, but let's talk a little bit about some practical considerations. So in the cardiology community, there's still some fear about, you know, anaphylactic reaction, inpatient, you know, referral to an infusion center, referral to hematology. What about the new preparations? What are the risk profile? Can you give it in the outpatient setting? Can you just give us a little bit of a practical management tips? Yeah, thanks, Javed. So I think you're getting at the really important question here, right? So we've talked through the data. We need to talk through the implementation. Unfortunately, on the inpatient side, we know that we need to think about systematic ways to get this implemented. And what that means is we need order sets. I mean, when you're coming into the hospital, you're checking all these routine labs, iron indices need to be considered, and then they need to be acted on. And, you know, the average length of stay in the U.S., five days, so you, you check the labs on admission, you've got time to give IV iron and tune this patient up before getting out of the hospital. So the in-hospital setting, we know it can be easily executed, it's safe. Older formulations, we worried about anaphylaxis, infection concerns, not an issue. Exceedingly low rates with any concerns around adverse events. So we really have to debunk that. And I think the infection piece, now we have additional data from Ironman, really showing the safety overall there. In many of our training experiences, we had thoughts of, oh, you know, they're here with heart failure, but maybe they have concerns of a pneumonia. Do we need to hold off on IV iron? We really know we can safely give it. And my final comment around the outpatient setting is similarly, right now at many institutions, it requires sending our patient to an IV infusion clinic. That's just insufficient. The idea that it's going to require additional scheduling, additional time, coordination, we've got to really push our institutions to get this effectively given in the heart failure clinics, in the general cardiology clinics, to best serve our patients. Well, that makes a lot of sense. You know, there's a lot of concern with the earlier forms of IV iron preparations, and those reactions and adverse effects are really not seen with the newer IV iron preparations as well. And you don't necessarily need to observe the patient in the outpatient setting after you give the injection. So for all those reasons, it's a whole lot more practical than perhaps sometimes we make of it. Well, that's about all the time we have today. We can literally go on with this discussion for a very long time. Let me ask my colleagues for some closing thoughts and comments. Maybe I'll start in the opposite direction. Rob? I would just echo my comment. Think about iron deficiency, check the labs, and think IV iron for treatment to help our patients. The other? Well, I can only fully concur with this, adding that consider a treatment with IV iron and iron deficient patients as the cheapest way to reduce heart failure hospitalization. We have a very, I would say, comprehensive cost effectiveness analysis that this is, would be a good way to reduce the cost of heart failure hospital admissions. And that would be my comment. Stefan, I'll give you the last word. Thank you so much. Well, intravenous iron works. All iron we know doesn't work. You need to think of it, you need to diagnose it, and hopefully you can then also treat it. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for all your insights and your thoughts and your experience on all the trials that have already occurred and will be declared in the next few years. So we look forward to further discussion. And thank you very much to all our viewers for this program. I hope this information was of help to you and your patients. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. So this was a great discussion, and we discussed a broad spectrum of topics related to iron deficiency. I hope that this discussion was of benefit to you and your patients and that you enjoyed listening to this discussion. Thank you very much for listening to us. You have been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Medtelligence. To receive your free CME credit, 
or to download this activity, go to ReachMD.com slash heart failure. Thank you for listening.